And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Oh, do I have a treat for all of you today. Yes, I do. Thank you for joining me. Darren Starr here with you. Um, yeah, what are we up to? Episode Is this 80? 80, something like that. I should have checked before I hit record. I think I think so. We're, we're, this is like a milestone episode. Um, am I right? I should, yeah, 80. All right, cool. We made it. Um, this will be the next to last episode of the drop set before I leave on my vacation next week. Um, we'll have one on Monday. I'm excited about that. It'll be an interview with somebody, and uh, I'm really uh, I'm going to record that on Monday, and uh, we should get it posted on Monday as well. So that'll be good times. Um, and uh, my gift to all of you today is uh, I'm going to talk less about me and more about you. We've got a lot of ground to cover here. I put out a call for um, questions to the the drop set hotline uh, and uh, you delivered. Thank you. So we've got a handful of those to go over. I also um, got some great questions via Instagram, Facebook, email. So we're going to go over those as well. Had some good follow-ups from uh, Monday's discussion about cheat hacks as well. So I wanted to share some of those with you. So we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, Just a couple of quick announcements here. Um, This is uh, more of an announcement of something that's going to happen. And I don't have the logistics in place for it just yet. But um, hopefully before I leave, I'll get it in place. And that is, um, for those of you who have purchased workout plans through the website, first of all, thank you. Um, Also, I'm going to provide a mechanism where you can leave a review and receive a discount code on the purchase of another one. So um, once I have that in place, I'll announce it through all social media channels. I'll make an announcement here as well, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that that is coming. So um, I've gotten some great feedback um, from people who have messaged me about um, plans that they've purchased and that they're going through. Some people have follow-up questions and that kind of stuff, which is all fantastic. I love it. Um, But... uh, I wanted to uh, find a way to give back a little bit and uh, also provide provide a place where for you could to uh, uh, provide those comments publicly just because, hey, you know, self-promotion, right? That's what it's all about. So um, I think that's actually the only announcement that I had. So uh, this might be the shortest intro in drop set history, uh, but nonetheless, let's get down to it. So we've got so many topics to go over. So I want to go ahead and dive into those right now. So uh, let's get to it and take our first, uh, our first very brief promotional break right here. Follow Darren on Instagram at Darren underscore star to see client profiles, updated workout plans, and tips and tricks on training and nutrition. Does that really count as a promotional break if I'm just... uh promoting my social media accounts. I don't know. One thing I did forget to mention. Um, so I'm not talking about myself too much here because um, as I do every week on Friday, I um, posted my weekly review onto my Facebook page. So if you go over to uh, to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash five star physique, it's been uploaded right there. I've put up my daily tracker as well so that you can see how my week shook out. Spoiler alert, it was fine, but there were some interesting things that happened throughout the week and some changes from last week's check-in. So um, that's why I'm giving you the, uh, I'm, I'm sparing you the recap of that here. So if you're interested, you can hop on over to Facebook and uh, check out that video. I think it's about four minutes long. So um, we've got uh, a bunch of topics, as I mentioned, to discuss here. Um, A whole bunch of voicemails and some other questions that I wanted to read that I got from uh, listeners. Um, But because I put out such a, a pain in the ass, incessant, constant droning request slash demand for voicemails. I'm going to give priority to those, and we're going to start there. So let's queue up number one and see what we got. Hey, Darren. This is Aaron Cubby from Oklahoma. Um, my question is, I know that you, especially when you're doing a cut, you and your wife typically eat different dinner meals. How how do you think that affects y'all? Because... Um, in my household, I do all the cooking for me and my husband, and so sometimes it's very frustrating when he wants to eat something super unhealthy and like I'm trying to eat healthy. And so, and I'm sure other listeners and other clients might have similar things where they cook for the family, and sometimes it's just easier to, you know, cook the same meal. But how would you? How does that affect you and your life? Thanks. Bye. Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate it. So um, 
uh, my answer for that might be a little bit different from somebody. I mean, surely it will be different from somebody else's answer. But the reasoning behind uh, why my answer is different is uh, really revolving around one central principle, and that is that professionally I am a bodybuilding coach. So, um, <laughs> you know, the expectation is a little bit different. Like she knows this is something that I do, and it's not something that I do year-round. Um, I'm really diligent when I'm on a cut, and when I'm not, I partake a little bit. So finding, um, having the ability to give and take a little bit and I let her know, I'm like, hey, you know what? So I'm getting ready for this photo shoot in November. This is back at the, what, August? <laughs> Start of August. And I'm like, so I'm going to be on a cut. I'm going to be really boring for the next few months. And uh, I'm sorry. But, uh, and the one thing I told her is, I don't want this to impact you at all. So I want you to feel bad about having yummy stuff that I can't because, you know, I'm doing this because it's my choice. Um, I'm not going to be a food martyr or anything like that. And uh, I'm not going to take it out on you because you don't deserve that. So um, that was very clear. I made that promise right off the bat and uh, I've kept to it. And that has helped tremendously just knowing that, you know, she can do whatever she wants and it doesn't matter. So and she's taken advantage of that somewhat, <laughs> but you know, typically she eats fairly healthy anyway. The thing is, she likes a lot of things that I really don't. So it gives her a chance to make stuff for that, that she wants. Um, and so, like one of the things, and I posted photos of this on Instagram before, um, like my dinner, her dinner, and it's like here's my ground turkey bowl with rice and veggies and blah blah salsa, etc. And here is hers, and it's this beautiful creation, and it's like this sushi bowl with uh, fried shrimp, and uh, this uh, she does diced cucumbers with this wasabi mayonnaise um, thrown into it over jasmine rice, and then all this like these uh, you know this uh, other whatever else she puts in it, soy sauce, etc. It looks amazing. Now, I would never eat that in a million years. I mean, I think I, I think uh, fried shrimp is just disgusting, um, but uh, it just doesn't. It's not appealing to me. So it looks really good, and I get comments from people like, "Yeah, I'll have what she's having." Thanks. I'm like, "Yeah, you go for it." <laughs> she will too, but uh, no, doesn't doesn't do anything for me. Um, and you know, she makes like soups and things like that. So she really favors a lot of like stuff that's fairly clean and healthy. You know, not portion controlled. She never weighs anything out. Like even when she's baking something, she's, she's an eyeballer. She's like, that's close enough. <laughs> it's fine. Um, the thought of using a food scale, like she laughs at me every time I pull my food food scale out. I think she's kind of used to it now, but she still thinks it's silly. And I get that. I mean, rightfully so. Um, if you, if you step back and think about it, like weighing every single portion of your food for every meal, it is a little psychotic. Um, but then again, as bodybuilders, what we do is, you know, embrace a lot of that psychosis and kind of turn it around to our advantage. So she favors a lot of healthy meals anyway. Strangely enough, I thought it would be trickier than it is, but it hasn't really been a source of much conflict because she can get what I want. Uh, she can get what she wants and I get what I need and everybody's happy where it gets difficult is, uh, I mean, she's a teacher. She works with really young kids all day long. So she comes home and she's like, I need a little bit of wine. I'm like, yeah, mm, me too. I'm going to, I'm going to open the bottle for you and smell it. And okay, that's, that's all I get. So, um, that's the hard part realistically is not being able to partake in that and every now and then she'll have something that's really good um, but the, the main thing for me is just understanding like yeah uh, I am choosing to do this it is totally voluntary and she is not choosing to do this and so whatever um, whatever stresses or difficulties I'm feeling that's on me and that is my burden to bear and I have elected to uh, bear it silently and just be content with it. And part of it is um, a plan is always easier to follow and it's easier to make sacrifices and it's easier to say no to things if you are really seeing results. And when you are on it 100% and you're killing it on your workouts and cardio, you'll get results. And that is validating. That makes it a little bit easier to stick to it and kind of justify all the no's that you're saying. Um, now, th there could be a, a situation where you know, if your significant other just feels like, you know, I want a meal together. Um, I mean, first of all, that's, that's a, a great time for a weekly cheat meal. So you can do that at least once. Um, but what we do is, you know, we still eat together every night. We're just not eating the same thing. Um, and if you kind of spin it around, it's really an advantage because everybody gets what they want, or at least, you know, what they, what they want slash need. <laughs> she gets what she wants. I get what I need. So, um, I don't know. I mean, different uh, interpersonal dynamics are going to change that situation a lot for everybody. So it, it could be that, you know, 
you're eating healthy and your your spouse is or significant other is then made to feel guilty because they're not, um, which you just remind them like, hey, this is a choice I'm making. This is not a choice that you're making. This is for me and me alone. It doesn't matter what you do. You know, make yourself happy. You know, <laughs> if you want to eat that, go for it. I wish I could too, but I made this commitment to myself, so I'm not going to. Um, but trust me, once I'm done with this phase, I'll catch up. I'll be right there with you. Okay. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm telling her right now. Um, or it, it could be like if, if it's something that you are feeling like you feel like you're missing out, you feel like, you know, it's just like it, it's unfair for lack of a better word or anything like that. So, um, I, I don't necessarily think that that's the case, but I know a lot of people do feel that way. And my advice at that point is, suck it up and just remember it's voluntary. You know, nobody's holding the gun to your head and forcing you to do this. So, um, a lot of the reward is in the process, uh, the sacrifice that you make, um, the discipline, the willpower, the self-control. You got to understand also that those things come and come and go in waves also. So trying to sustain that 365 days a year is not realistic, um, which is why your typical cut is about 16 weeks, because I think that's about the longest that most people can really hold it together. And after that, your, your brain starts to just play even greater tricks on you and then stuff really starts to break down. So anyway, that that's, that's my take on it. Um, and again, the way it works in this household is going to be very different from how it might work in yours. That's my approach to it. All right, what do we got next? Uh, hey, Dan, this is uh, Josh from Virginia again. Uh, same guy that asked the skin fold, um, or not the skin fold, but the, uh, the loose skin, extra skin question last week. Uh, so just listen to the cheat hack episode, and uh, since I'm just coming off of my last contest prep, um, I got a couple things that uh, could be added to that list. And it's actually things that I actually use regardless of cutting um, or growing or whatever the case may be. So, um, number one, probably pretty similar to your Trader Joe seasoning, um, but it's Tony Chachery's. Uh, it's like a Cajun Creole seasoning, and I swear to God that I can literally put that on anything. Um, if I got told I could only eat cardboard as long as I had a container of Chachery's next to me, Tony Chachery's, I'd probably be okay. Um, and then the other thing would be like uh, the Stevia or Truvia brown sugar. Um, that stuff's not a complete freebie, um, but it's, it's pretty minimal. And, uh, you know, putting a tablespoon of that uh, or two on, on oatmeal in the morning or even cream of rice, if that's your thing, which I know it is, um, is a lifesaver for me. And that's stuff that I use, like I said, uh, even when not in prep. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, those little Kool-Aid water flavor enhancers, uh, total freebies and freaking delicious, uh, especially when you're craving something sweet to drink. Um, or a little dessert, something with dinner. So anyway, take care, man. Keep rocking. Ah, uh, yes. Thanks, Josh. Much appreciated. I had not heard of that seasoning before. Um, I guess a follow-up question might be, where do you get that stuff? Is that just available in any grocery store? Um, interesting. I like the, uh, the idea of something that you can put on just about anything, though. <laughs> totally. Um, and those, uh, the, the water flavor uh, drops, I mean, seriously, I, when I go to the grocery store, um, those are located like very close to the front door. It's my first stop. I get two flavors. I get orange and I get strawberry watermelon. The strawberry watermelon I actually use for um, uh, adding to my um, workout drink with BCAAs and glutamine. I also add a little bit of that into a Sprite Zero at night. And then the orange I use for um, just if I if I I drink most of my water throughout the day from a mason jar. I'll just add a little bit of that with some ice to that. And suddenly it's like I don't have to remind myself to drink water. I'm like. Oh, yeah, that stuff's good. So, yeah, a lot of artificial sweeteners, sure. But like I said before, you know, pick your poison. So huge fan of those. Absolutely. This would be a good time also to address um, a couple of the other things that I got suggestions from. Um, a, a few clients actually mentioned this. And so one, one of the things that popped into my head immediately after I recorded that last thing was PB2. Um and uh, I've had issues with PB2 in the past. So this is um, product. I can't remember what the company is um, that puts this out, but uh, it used to be really hard to find, and now it's in like every grocery store everywhere. So it's much easier to find now. Um, it's basically what it, what is it? It's like peanut butter, but with 80% less fat or something like that. So the issue that I ran into before is I would when I'm writing meal plans, I would plug like, okay, here's one or two tablespoons of peanut butter, and somebody would be using PB2, and I'm like, no. No, peanut butter, not PB2. <laughs> you know, the whole reason we have peanut butter on the plan is for the calories in it. Um, so if you're using a low-calorie version of that, you defeat the purpose. But if you're looking for something that is peanut butter-like and lower in calories, so it's not a freebie, but it's something that will help you sneak in a little bit of extra goodness, that's a good option. 
Um, so um, some suggestions I got from clients. Um, so Robin Ferdinand, she had <laughs> she had a, a giant email that she dispatched to me with a whole bunch of things. So she mentioned Loran Oil's Super Strength Candy Flavorings. Um, she said she adds some of that to coffee, um, and uh, the taste is amazing. Apple pie and cake batter being a couple of those, um, with a little bit of stevia drops as well. And uh, she said uses those on whey protein as well. Um, <laughs> so one of the, the brands that she has that's kind of gross otherwise. So if you have a, uh, a brand of whey and you get like a five-pound tub of it because you're going to try something else, you're like, oh, this is a little, little dicey, rather than suffering your way through it or just chucking it or trying to find somebody to give it to, um, you could add something like that to help kind of make it a little bit more palatable as well. So um, Colonel Seasons Popcorn Seasoning. Yeah, I've used that stuff in the past as well. Um, I've totally forgotten about that, but that stuff is great. So higher in sodium, again, don't really care about that. She says a quarter teaspoon is two calories, no carbs. Um, what else do we have here? Um, sesame oil. Now, clearly, I mean, oil, it's very caloric, but she has a good point on this. You only need a tiny little bit of it. You, and she said mix it with soy sauce, ginger powder, onion powder, garlic powder, red pepper flakes, and uh, put that on like roasted green beans, um, or you could throw that in. I mean, suddenly that sounds great to like mix in with some ground turkey or something like that as well. That sounds pretty awesome. So um, I like that. That's a good one. Um, Sarah Vasquez, uh, she also mentioned Trader Joe's chili and lime seasoning, which is a great one. Yes, that that is absolute money. Totally agree. Um, Kristen Fry says kimchi. Um, I'm, uh, I, I take exception to that because uh, <laughs> I went to college at Oregon State University. And in the engineering lab, there were a, a group of people who would come in um, and they would heat up their kimchi every day when I was in there doing my thing. And uh, it was just, I mean, it's just got such an overpowering smell it's like oh dear lord but um you know the the same day that she mentioned that actually my wife mentioned that she went out um for uh sushi with a friend and uh she she got some of that as well so it was kind of like a double whammy got hit from both sides with that so not a personal favorite of mine but totally totally a, le a legit suggestion nonetheless so that's a great one so good suggestions all around on that and i know that we are barely just touching the surface on this topic as well so we can certainly keep those coming too uh okay we have another voicemail what's next let's go to the tape hey darren this is emily from eugene oregon represent oregon your hometown, I think, is Albany. Um, I'm calling to ask about posing because uh, I've heard it reemphasized a couple of times that posing is really important, and I know that mine is totally uh, terrible because it's nothing I've ever done before. So I was just trying to research last night places uh, to go for classes and things like that. Um, so I've listened back to the podcast um, a couple times and. Um, haven't heard too many tips on exactly where to start with posing other than look at some videos. So maybe I was thinking you could give us some guidance around how to find classes, how to find coaches that do that locally if we have an online coach, and uh, kind of like what videos to look for on YouTube. Um, so, yeah, that would be great. Thank you, Emily. Full disclosure, Emily is a client of mine. I did not bribe her in any way to leave that message. I did not say, hey, Emily, if you uh, leave me a message, we will have a second cheat meal this week. Although, you know what? If I get desperate enough, that might happen. So... <laughs> <laughs> there's there's probably some people that are just holding out for a better offer like that. But um, good question. So first of all, yes, Albany is my hometown. That's where I'll be staying next week. So um, I look forward to it. It'll be uh, it'll be nice to go back and see how much has changed, and I won't be able to recognize anything. So I know one of the gyms that I'm going to be hanging out in um, used to be a grocery store that I went to all the time. So uh, at least I know it's a big place. Um, so how to find uh, posing work. So first of all, the, the further out you are, the more sense it makes to kind of master the basics on your own. And then I would recommend performing your due diligence and finding a coach that you can work with. But, you know, start that process early, just understanding that it might take a little time um, and send some emails, go back and forth with the person, seek recommendations, etc. So um, where I would start on your own is, first of all, if you go to here, let me walk you through it right now. If you go to fivestarphysique.com, you click on blog from the menu. It's either the bottom option if you're on mobile or the far right if you're on desktop. And you scroll down to the third post. And the third post is titled, hold on, let me pull it up right now so that I can give you exactly the blow-by-blow -blow 
title, word for word. Blog, uh, post one, two, three. Video update, progress photo strategies and posing basics. So what I'm doing there, and I talked about this um, the week I put that up. This post is from September 13th. It's a few weeks old. Um, so what I'm doing is taking you on kind of like the real estate tour through my house as we're looking for the best possible lighting situation. Um, so I'm just kind of carrying my tripod around and we're, we're looking and seeing, okay, this works, this doesn't work, this is terrible, this is okay, we might come back here, that kind of stuff. That's part one. Part two talks about how to flare your lats and then part three is talking about how to nail the quarter turn. So regardless of... Um, what division you are competing in. And yes, bikini competitors, I'm talking to you here as well. Being able to master the figure or bodybuilding quarter turns is important because it's a mind-muscle connection exercise. And I talk about this in the video. You want to be able to engage and activate everything. Even if you're not going to be using those poses on stage, it's still a good pose to use for your progress photos. And it's something that'd be really good to master. Um, it's just, you know, it, it won't be something that you do when you actually work with a posing coach if that's not the division that you're in. If you're in bikini, uh, and really, um, bikini is the only one where that doesn't really have a whole lot of direct application. But still, being able to master those poses is, is crucial for muscle activation. And um, muscle activation is crucial if you actually want to effectively train a muscle as well. So like I've said before, if you can't flare your lats, you can't fully train yourself, train your lats to maximum effectiveness either. So um, that's where I would start. And then the the trick on that is... If you if you haven't figured out how to flare your lats, it's very much like oh, I don't know, riding a bike, making a quilt, um, rewiring an electrical circuit. I mean, it's a skill. It's something you've just got to practice. And uh, unlike rewiring an electrical circuit, there's no risk of blowing yourself up in the process if you get it wrong. Um, the worst thing that happens is you will not get it right and you will take a lousy photo. So <laughs> big deal. Um, but once, once you go from like, I can't flare my lats to, oh my God, I just did it. And, you know, so that can happen instantaneously. There, there's a moment where that happens. And in that moment, you can make anywhere from like two to six months of perceived progress just by making your shoulders and your back look bigger, making your waist look smaller. It's like pushing the fast forward button. So it's worth really figuring out. Um, and uh, th there are all kinds of videos. So I, I talk about one technique in this video that you can use. It, I don't pretend that it's going to work for everybody. Just like you can't, you know, you can't potty train uh, a toddler the same way all the time and have, have a guarantee that it's going to work. You can't use the same technique to keep, teach a, a young kid to ride a bike every time and know that it's going to work. You know, People are going to have to try different things. Some verbiage or some physical cue is going to connect different, differently with everybody. So if you just go onto YouTube and, and search how to flare your lats, you'll find a whole bunch of different things. And just go through a few of those and find something that clicks. And similarly, I mean, there are a ton of videos for um, quarter turns, but if you um, if you search, let's go to YouTube and find the correct search term that we actually want to type in here. So let's just pull it up really quick, and uh, let's type in. Oh, what do we got? We got a home screen that has a video that I need to add to my watch list. Okay, I got distracted there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, let's say, uh, oh boy, um, let's type in in all quotes here: figure quarter turns how to because I don't necessarily just want to see like a stage video of people doing quarter turns at a show that's not useful what I what I'm looking for here is some kind of a video where there's a description as, as well so um let's see like this one here says learning NPC figure model poses and quarter turns that might do the trick let's see what we see and yeah, so I mean, the, the video quality on this is lousy, but the, the, what you're looking for is something with some narration. And ideally, um, so here's one with Sandy Williamson. This is from NPC News Online. It's figure posing tutorial video. Um, and so she's giving some guidance there. She's holding a microphone while she's pointed at a person who's actually doing the posing and kind of what, talking through what she's doing right and what she's doing wrong and how, you know, how to adjust things. So... Um, so something like figure quarter turns tutorial, bodybuilding quarter turns tutorial, something like that would be a good place to start. Um, rather than just watching a bunch of state of people on stage doing their turns, um, you want to see like a posing coach or video from a clinic or something like that is what you want to look for. Um, now, when it comes time to actually work with somebody locally, there's a lot of things that you could do. Um, what I would recommend is start by asking your coach. <laughs> if you've got an online coach like me, say, hey, Darren, do you know anybody in Eugene, Oregon? And I'll say, yeah, you should go talk to 
to Aaron Orton at Genuine Fitness. He is a great dude. I used to work with him, um, and he uh, he does training. I believe he will also do um, one-on-one, or he may occasionally do group posing sessions as well. So shout out to Aaron. He's a good quality dude. He's got a great facility there. I think it's on 6th Street close to downtown. So um that's uh, that's that's one option. I would just say off the top of my head because I used to live in Eugene. I know Aaron. There you go. Um, so then you're like, well, what about me? Because I live in Houston. And I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't live in Houston. And so um, I had somebody ask. Um, and so uh, yeah, here's the thing. So start start with your coach because your coach will know people. And, um, like, like I know people, um, and, you know, sometimes I, I get a lot of dead ends and sometimes I actually um, – uh, sometimes I actually strike gold. So like, do I know anybody in Houston? No, <laughs> but, um, I have other clients who live in Houston and some of those clients have competed before and they may have worked with opposing coach. Um, my own coach is in Dallas. Well, Dallas, I mean, it's in the same state as Houston. It's about, you know, 10,000 miles away, but nonetheless, um, uh, I, I reached out to her I said, do you know anybody in Houston? And, you know, she asked me what, what division for, um, you know, I know a few people, but I, you know, none that I would necessarily recommend off the top of my head. I'll ask around. So, you know, networking like that. Um, the other thing, um, to look at is, um, look at shows in your area, look at who is promoting the shows and see if there are any affiliated, um, posing clinics, posing coaches that they recommend. So sometimes um, a website for a show um, will say, uh, you know, maybe a sponsor will be somebody who's putting on a posing clinic. So there may be a, a note about that on the webpage for the show. They may have uh, they may have a sponsored posing coach that, that um, works with the show as well, uh, or you could also email the promoter directly because that's going to be somebody who is well connected in the community and say, "Hey, I'm I'm prepping for your show. Do you know any any posing coaches in the area?" So those would be the places that I start. Talk with your coach, talk with the promoter, and check out the uh, check out the website for the show and see if they're if they're um, promoting anybody specifically as an affiliated posing coach uh, or coaches, um, and especially like a lot of natural shows that are less political. Um, I, I hesitate to say that, but the NPC is very political. So even a natural show that still has a lot of political affiliations is going to be less so than the NPC under most circumstances. Um, they, they will often um, put lists of like, here are people that are available to help you with this show, just because they tend to be a little bit more helpful, a little less standoffish. Um, trying to email a promoter can be very hit or miss. Um, I've emailed a promoter and gotten a great response back within five minutes. Um, more commonly as I email a promoter, and I never hear back from them at all, but it's worth a shot. So um, those are the places that I would recommend. And guess what? You're never going to believe this. We got one more voicemail. So thank you, Emily. Let's get on to number four, the final one. Hey, Darren, it's Mary Dix, um, calling from Granbury, Texas. My question is, what is certain um, bodybuilding organizations, what's their premise for almost condoning performance enhancement chemicals versus other organizations who do not condone it? Um, why, why is it that it's almost encouraged in this sport versus other sports? where it's almost taboo. Thanks. Thanks, Mary. And again, full disclosure, Mary is also a client of mine, but again, there were no bribes issued in order to, uh, to get her to, <laughs> to get her to leave that message. She did mention she kept meaning to, and she kept meaning to. And so I was harassing her a little bit and saying, well, get on it then. So thank you, Mary. That's a great question. Actually. Um, I could speculate for a long time on that. Um, as far as actually figuring out why, well, um, Here's the thing. So performance enhancing drugs are universally illegal. And I'm, I'm talking specifically about the United States. Uh, laws overseas can vary significantly. But in the States, they're all illegal. They're all classified as controlled substances. Bad things happen if you get um, caught in possession or Lord knows if you get um, charged with distribution of those, you're, you're pretty much screwed. So um, unless uh, you've got somebody higher up the food chain <laughs> that you can that you can turn in so um, definitely uh, you know, it's illegal but the thing is you know in 
The, the, the NPC is really the one exclusive body that, uh, that does not ban it across the board, ban them across the board. Um, so it's not against the rules. So something can be illegal, but not against the rules. So you've got this real gray area here. And that is where the NPC tends to operate. Full disclosure also, the NPC is not universally a uh, performance-enhancing drug condoning organization. They do have a lot of natural shows. Uh, you will see a lot of shows, especially in the Midwest, that say the NPC natural blah, 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 blah. Um, and they, they do tend to be centered around the Midwest. And I don't know if there's just like a, a couple promoters that tend to favor doing natural shows that are based geographically in that region. Um, I have a hard time suspecting that it's, it's related to anything other than that. Most NPC, NPC shows, however, are not drug tested. Um, none of the NPC national level shows are drug tested except for the universe, which is in uh, usually either used to be early, early July. I think now it might be late June, but that's in New Jersey and only men's bodybuilding is drug tested there. So all of the other divisions are, are anything goes, and at every other uh, national level show, everything goes. And every single IFBB pro show, NPC being the amateur feeder league into the IFBB, um, none of those are drug tested, um, which is pretty clear if you look at them. So um, why? Why is a really good question. Um, I think it's important to make the distinction between bodybuilding and natural bodybuilding. And I think that's one of the things that the NPC, um, again, passively um they don't promote themselves this way but it's kind of like a nod nod bleh, a nudge nudge wink wink everybody knows it kind of thing um so natural bodybuilding shows and they will uh, they have varying degrees of severity with how they enforce the rules like there are some organizations that require you to be a lifetime natural um like lifetime natural in all caps, meaning like, oh, you have a prescription for testosterone replacement therapy? Sorry, you can't compete in our organization, that kind of thing. Um, and I mean, lifetime, like, well, I used it 15 years ago. Well, are you 14 years old? Because if you're older than 15, that's in your lifetime and you're disqualified, you can't compete here. Um, more commonly is uh, something that's like a seven-year seven years free. Um, that, that's typically the, the most common thing that you will see for natural organizations. Seven years free and clear of all performance enhancing drugs. Every organization has their own list of banned substances and included in many of those are prescription medications that you know don't really seem to have any, any um, bodybuilding applications. So the NGA in particular, um, one of their banned substances is an acne medication because it has a uh, secondary effect as a diuretic. <laughs> so, okay, great. So that that almost became an issue for a client that I was working with. Um, but I contacted the promoter and said, hey, there's a prescription involved. You know, what, what do we have to do? And they're like, well, if you stop 30 days prior to the show, I'm like, well, so... There's a prescription medication, but because of your stupid show, we need to stop taking it for 30 days prior to it. Um, but yeah, okay, great. And then there had to be documentation provided from the doctor and all this. It was, it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind. I think they're uh, a lot of their banned substances lists are a little excessive um, when you're talking about you know something where it has a secondary effect as being a diuretic. I mean, come on, you, you want to just tell people that you can't take dandelion root tea at the same time because. <laughs> Give me a break. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's about that powerful of a diuretic. So anyway, um, back to the question at hand. So the, the NPC, oh, and other natural organizations, like I've, I've seen somewhere on their poster for the show, um, and I can't remember what the organization was. It was some very, very small regional organization um, that only promoted a few shows. Um, but they were like, you know, we are a Christian organization, and performance-enhancing drugs are immoral, and, and it just goes on and on and on in this diatribe. I'm like, it's a promotional poster for a freaking show. Stop it already. We get the point, okay? <laughs> it's like, we get it. Um, so you're going to, as far as natural shows, you're going to find, you know, things that run the gamut. And you'll find people that legitimately, you know, they, they, they fail a drug test unknowingly because they were taking something prescription. They didn't read through um, the, the banned substance list with a super fine-tooth comb. It didn't occur to them that something they were taking may have some secondary or tertiary effect that was beneficial in a bodybuilding sense. So suddenly they fail their drug test. And you're like, what? I get disqualified? What? And then you get some people who are legitimately just dirtbags and try to get away with it, which is no good. No good at all. So um, 
uh, I've ha- had a few instances where people are like, well, you know, I, I took this stuff a year ago, but I can, I can still do this show. I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't. The rules say seven years and we're sticking with those seven years. That's it. End of discussion. So, um, now the NPC, so the, the NPC and the IFBB are closely affiliated. Um, I, I have to suspect, and there, there may, it, it, this would be a really difficult topic to research just because you're not going to find a lot of information about it online that comes from reputable sources. Um, but somebody like, you know, um, Dan Duquesne, who had a column in the old Muscular Development magazine, um, he would be the guy that would really have the answer on this. Is he still alive? That's a great question. Um, I don't know. I haven't heard much from him lately. That's, a, that's worth a quick Google search. Um, uh, no, not even close. 2000. Okay. <laughs> he died in 2000. Um, so, how did he die? Just curious. Kidney disease. Uh, um, okay, sorry. It's a little sidetrack there. Uh, but he was a guy who, you know, I mean, he, he's written books here like the Wikipedia page credits him with four of them. Um, the original Underground Steroid Handbook, uh, the, a second edition of that, uh, the Underground Steroid Handbook 2, and Underground Body Opus, Militant Weight Loss and Recomposition. So um, he's written four books. I mean, he is kind of, you know, one of the um, industry authorities or was one of the industry authorities on performance-enhancing drugs. And so, you know, it, whatever the history was on how this came about, he would be the guy. But, you know, you look back in, you know, 60s and 70s, you know, the, the golden era, supposedly, all of those guys were enhanced. Um, so you look at, you know, all of the uh, Olympia-level competitors, every single one of them is enhanced. There's no drug testing happening. And I think it's just, if I had to speculate, and I do, because I don't know the answer, maybe somebody out there does. So if you do, you know, call in and let me know, you know, correct me on this because uh, I can be wrong. <laughs> Dear Lord, can I be wrong? Um, I, I suspect it's one of those things where the, the whole concept of drug testing um, never caught up because first of all, like um, you know, cycling is covered by WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency. So um, as far as a, a credibility um, providing organization, bodybuilding, the NPC, they're not governed by any organization like that. They're completely independent. So um, the only thing that would happen if the IFBB and or the NPC were to enforce things like that is the level of competition would suffer. The size of the competitors would suffer. Therefore, the size of the crowds would suffer. Um, the overall draw to the sport would suffer. Because, um, you know, do you want to go and see uh, an Olympia with uh, Phil Heath and Sean Roden battling it out at 270, 280 pounds on stage or 230, 240 pounds on stage? You know, that's a big difference. You know, are you going to fill a Las Vegas convention hall for for guys that look like, you know, the guy who's in best shape at your gym? Or do you want to see the best in the world? You know, I mean, it's a whole different ballgame. It really is. So if you drug test shows like that, the draw goes way down. Um, and suddenly, you know, the, the appeal of having a pro card and competing at the pro level goes way down. So therefore your, your NPC show participation goes way down. There is a reason why the NPC is the largest, um, amateur organization of any of them. You know, part of it is just market share, but also it's because, you know, people know that anything goes, they know that they can run whatever they want and, and compete in the NPC. So, um, don't think that that's an accident. Uh, and, you know, I, I work with plenty of competitors who are natural who compete in the NPC because they do tend to put on bigger and better shows, usually. Um, I, I think the OCB gives them a good run for their money, but OCB shows have been, you know, a little bit more scarce. Like, you know, if, if you're in uh, some part of the country, you may have, without having to travel too far, four or five NPC shows as options throughout the year. Maybe one or two OCB shows if you're lucky, and in some regions you, you'd be hard-pressed to find even that. So, um the availability is greater because the organization is bigger. The organization is bigger because um, there's a, a larger section of the population that will go to those shows because they're not drug tested. So it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing. And I don't know which one came first. That's the best I can give you as far as speculation goes. So um, I wish I had a better answer for you. But Mary, that was an awesome question. Thank you for that. So, um, okay, that was our fourth and final voicemail. But we're not done. We got more to go over here. So 
I am going to let my poor, weary little voice take a little break, um, and that break will seem like it's about five seconds long, um, but I'm going to go eat <laughs> and maybe do a little bit more productive work, and then we're going to come back here. I'm going to come back here, and uh, we are going to go over a couple other great questions and topics of conversation that I got from other people. So stick around. I'm going to be back in about one and a half seconds here. Whew. I was gone a long time. Anybody miss me? Yeah, I, I didn't think so, but I had to ask. So um, we are not done. The uh, The question and answer session rolls on. I don't have any further voicemails, but uh, nonetheless, I have other questions from people. So um, this is a great one that comes from Ryan Harvey via Facebook. Thank you, Ryan. So he said he's currently on episode 21 of the podcast. So I'm going to have to shoot him a note and tell him to skip ahead to 80 so he can hear this response. Um, so I uh, I did uh, give him a little bit of uh, practical advice here but I, um, in, the, in a response, but I wanted to dig in a little bit more thoroughly here. So he says, no idea if you've gone over this or not, but I have a gluten sensitivity and work construction. So food choices are limited due to no microwave. I was wondering if I had a relevant podcast or if it's a topic for another podcast. Yes. So here we are. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. So, um, yeah, so gluten sensitivity, this one, um, because, you know, a lot of your carbohydrate options that are going to be um, non-reheat friendly are going to be things that are, are gluten-based, flour-based, etc. So, you know, anything snackable like crackers, stuff like that, they're all going to be gluten-based unless you find some gluten-free thing, in which case, great, but, you know, most of those are a little on the gross side typically. So, um, you know, <laughs> cracker connoisseur chiming in here like nasty, can't do it. So, um, so what are some options? So first option is, um, and, and this is for the, I would say the more hardcore among us, and that is uh, get used to eating cold food. Uh, because you know, my biggest concern would be, you know, what are we doing for protein sources instead if we don't have a microwave? I mean, if you're accustomed to eating cold protein sources, that's one thing. And then throwing a cold carb source on top of that, yeah, you know what? I mean, like something like, uh, uh, okay, potato, for example, sure. So uh, potato salad is one of those things that to me has always seemed like it should be served hot. Like I, I always, I, I order it occasionally. Um, I know Zoe's kitchen. If you, if anybody's eaten there, they've got some, some decent macro friendly options. Um, they have a potato salad as a side option and uh, I get it. And every time I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot the stupid thing's cold. And I realize potato salad's always cold, but it just seems to me like a food that should be hot. Okay. That's totally something that's on me. I get it. But nonetheless, I expect it to be hot and I'm disappointed when it isn't. So that that would be an option. Like you could make yourself a a, a clean-ish, um, lower fat version of a potato salad just by using some some uh, substitute type ingredients in that. And that would be a good option. That that's so that's, that's one carb source. I mean, you know, you've got a lot of uh, grain and starch options that are going to be gluten free. So don't feel like you've got to be limited or restricted. Like you know, you'll you'll find a lot of hardcore bodybuilders who have put down their fair share of cold chicken and rice meals. Is it appealing? No, but is it uh, something that is is universally an option. Yeah. I mean, if you have a way to keep it cold during the day, you can always pull that thing out and it's always ready to go. Um, I am not one of those guys. Uh, I, I, I do not like that. Uh, if it comes down to eating something cold or finding a different option, I will get really creative to find a different option. So um, while I appreciate the hardcore among us, I'm, t I'm telling you, the listeners, you know, look to your left, look to your right, one of the three of you is probably way more hardcore than I am and is willing to go to much greater lengths than I am to make something work. I'm all about convenience, sustainability, and making something more appealing. Now, if it was a one-day thing, sure. I've done this before where, you know, I, I recall not too long ago, I went and took a class locally that was a uh, woodworking class. It was like a five-hour class with a break in the middle. I had to work in a meal. And so um, I took something with me in my six-pack bag, and uh, I just had to, you know, go eat it cold out in my truck. Okay, fine. As a one-off, yeah. But if you're working construction and you're out there every day, is that going to be an appealing option? No. But the question isn't about protein sources. It's about carb sources. So here's your number one go-to option, and that is rice cakes. That's the easiest way to go. Um, it is what I'm doing for my post-workout carbs right now. Here's the thing. They really fill you up. They are a high-volume food. So if you have like a standard like, you know, unflavored or like um, the, the grocery stores here uh, and Quaker sells like a white cheddar or sometimes you can find a buttered popcorn flavor um, that are, are still very, very macro friendly. Those things are going to be about 35, 40 calories a piece, usually about 35. Um, and 
you eat a few of those, like enough to get about, you know, 30-ish grams of carbs. You know, you have four or five of those. That's a lot. That fills you up. That sits in your stomach for a while. So especially if you're on a deficit and you're trying to maintain things, that's a great option. And that's one of my go-tos. So typically on a, on a typical day, I, I favor some of the ones that are like the caramel flavored ones that are more like 11 grams of carbs per. So on a, on a given day, I may have somewhere between six and eight of those post-workout. It's a lot to go through. My stomach gets a little distended afterwards, but I'm good for like a good 90 minutes to two hours after that. So it's a lot for your body to chew on literally. Um, so that, that would be my, my number one go-to option would be rice cakes. Um, it's just easy. It's convenient. You can pack them with, pack them with you. They don't need to be, um, refrigerated depending on what you're doing uh, and what your other macros are. You can throw some things on them. So you could throw some peanut butter in between them, make a, a peanut butter sandwich with two rice cakes. Um, that's a good option as well. So and if you need to get some additional carbs, great. You can throw a little bit of honey on there. If you're working construction, um, you know, the, the sugars are less of an issue just because you have a very physically demanding job. So you'll be, you know, putting that to good use immediately. Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to get a little bit of a blood sugar spike from that, but I think it should be minimal if you just moderate how much you're using. The, the trick there would be, you know, do you have a way to measure it out in the field? <laughs> so that could be a little, a little tricky, but you got a lot of options there. A lot of options. Um, Something like fruit, um, I mean, I would rely on some of that, but you'd have to eat a lot of fruit to get a reasonable amount of carbs as well. So that could be a little bit more difficult to pack and plan for. Um, again, doesn't require um, doesn't require heating up, but I, I'm not a big fruit fan for that that blood sugar reason. Again, you could probably have that mitigated to some extent working construction. So this is a little bit more of a, a specific answer for you and what you're doing. Um, for most people that like, let's say I'm working in an office job and our microwave is broken and I'm gluten sensitive. Okay. Well, I wouldn't recommend a, a higher sugar option for you. That's just not as good of an idea. So, um, rice cakes are the go-to or, you know, cold rice, cold potatoes, a potato salad kind of thing that works as well. Um, the, the trick would be, you know, cut things up small into small chunks. If you're doing, if you're doing potatoes, like small chunks, cold, appropriately seasoned that have been, you know, they've been cooked and then um, just not reheated. That can be a really good option. That, that's, that's actually not too unappealing if you get the process down on how to season those things and how to cook them properly. Um, okay. So that was, uh, that was the first one. So thank you, Ryan, for that. I appreciate it. Now, um, Steve, who goes by Fat Fit Shred on Instagram has a really good question here. And this is something that I have gone into a little bit before, but it's worth delving into his specific situation here. So um, he says, uh, I have a podcast question. Weight has been fluctuating like mad. I've been going for maintenance and taking the average. That is working fine. But the daily weigh-ins jump up and down between 188 and 197, sometimes even within 24 hours. He says, I'm not doing crazy refeed or cheats, so I'm quite stumped. Any insights into what can cause this? Much appreciated. And then he attaches a graph here, which I can't uh, show you, but I can I can describe. So, um, and clearly, I mean, there's there's tense involved here because um, the the uh, points on the graph don't always correspond to a whole number here. But I can see. So he was like 186 here one day and then two days later it looks like it's about 189 and a half and then back down to 185 and change a couple days back up he's up over 190 and then a handful of days after that he's down to like 185 six it looks like something like that so pretty wild swings not not too abnormal not the the weirdest thing i've ever seen um but they're they're pretty wild so Rather than speculate like, oh, well, here's what's going on, because clearly I have no clue. Like, Steve, I don't know anything about your diet, um, your schedule, or anything like that. But let's talk about the factors that um, influence this. And I did I did a post yesterday um, that I put up on Instagram, and uh, it was one of my little, uh, little infographics. And it said, the process is not linear. <laughs> and it is not. So if you expect, I mean, you know, that you've, you might have seen that meme that they show. It's like expectation versus reality. Expectation is a graph of a, uh, a scale uh, weigh-in number set that's just a st steady straight line down. And then reality is something that looks more like what Steve is showing me here, where it's just all over the map, but it's clearly trending in a certain direction, whatever you're trying to do. Um, if you can kind of look past the individual spikes and you do a regression line like what Excel would do if you told it to, um, you would see, okay, well, clearly it's trending down in the right direction, so we can take that as a positive at least. So that's something good. So um, let's talk instead about the factors that can cause these spikes. And this probably won't be a comprehensive list, but it's a pretty good one. Um, 
let's start with the obvious stuff. So um, fluctuations in intake and output. So eating less, eating more, doing less, doing more. Um, you burn more calories, you burn fewer calories, you take more calories in, you take fewer calories in. Those clearly are going to have an impact. Um, not necessarily always in the positive direction. Like, you know, you might, you might say, oh, well, I want to lose weight, so I'm just going to eat less. Well, you know, it doesn't really work like that. As bodybuilders, we kind of know that that's not the magic solution. You know, we've got to eat an appropriate amount. You can't just cut your intake down. You can't cut it off at the knees and hope to get where you want to go in any kind of sustainable way. So the first thing is big fluctuations in intake and output. Now, a corollary to that would be fluctuations in fluid intake and output. So how much water you're drinking, how much you're sweating. So if you have a day where, you know, you take a total rest day. Um, and so let's say you scale down your calories so that they are, uh, is still in proportion with your activity level. Um, so let's say you're not doing cardio and you're not doing, um, a weight session, which you would normally do. You're just taking a total rest day. So let's say you scale your calories down. I'm going to make up a number here by 700. Okay, cool. So let's say your, your overall intake to output ratio is the same. Your water intake level is the same, but your water output is not going to be the same because you aren't sweating. You aren't doing anything. You're still going to pee a whole bunch. Um, but that's a, that's a change in a variable. So, um, therefore you can expect, um, you know, there's two ways that that could go. Your, your relative water intake may actually be a little higher because you're not losing as much, so therefore you may retain a little bit less, actually. That's kind of counterintuitive, but it does happen that way sometimes. None of this stuff is universal. All of this stuff has relies on a lot of unique individual variables, and I don't pretend to have all the answers for those. I can just tell you what I have seen over the many years of doing this. Um, and the other thing is, you know, you're, you're not sweating, so you're not actually losing that fluid, so therefore you might retain a little bit more. A lot of variables like how active are you during the day on average? Are you just laying in bed all day? Or are you like, well, I'm taking a, a non-lifting day and a non-cardio day, but I'm doing housework, I'm doing some light landscaping outside, still working, etc. So th those are different situations as, as well. But fluctuations in, uh, in fluid intake and output. Um, fluctuations in sodium intake. This is one of the reasons why I salt my food very heavily, so I don't have any sodium intake spikes. It's always high. It's always high. So I don't experience any fluctuations in, like I could go out to eat and probably have less sodium on a given day. Like if I had one of my uh, middle of the day meals at Chipotle instead of at home, it would probably be lower sodium than what I, have, what I would have here. So I'd experience a drop in, in, in sodium intake for the day. And uh, usually what you, what you will notice is if you have a big sodium bomb on one day, you can expect to retain a little bit of additional fluid because of that. That's another variable. Um, Meal timing. Um, are, are your calories backloaded later in the day? Like you had the same total macros, but oh, you know what? I woke up later, everything got shifted back a little bit later, or I had a big gap between my first two meals. So then, you know, meals two through six all shifted three hours later in the day. That's going to cause a fluctuation as well. Uh, sleep. Um, did you sleep less? Did you sleep in later? Did you did you wake up really early? Did you have terrible sleep? One of our main mechanisms for quote unquote weight loss, which is you know if you weigh yourself at night before you go to bed and then you weigh yourself in the morning, I'm talking about that weight loss on the scale, not necessarily productive fat loss or anything like that. Uh, but one of our primary mechanisms of having that number shift is fluid loss via respiration when you sleep. So if you are in a deeper sleep, you can expect more from that. If if your sleep sucks or is short, you can expect less of that. If you have crappy sleep, you're not going to wake up as lean as you would otherwise. If you sleep in really long, you're like, "Phew, I was out for 11 hours. Holy crap!" Yeah, the number's going to be the number's going to be lower for sure. That's to be expected. So, uh, and this, this is all like you know versus the average. Like your day to day numbers, whether it's higher or lower, it, of course it depends on what preceded it. So trying to predict the future here is impossible. And of course, the other thing is. The, the truth is it's probably a confluence of many of these things. It's probably not any one of them. So what do we talk about? Fluctuations in intake and output for both um, activity and fluids, sodium, meal timing, sleep quality, what else? What are the other things that we're looking at here? Digestive issues. If you're backed up, you have a day without uh, without a decent crap, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's going to be reflected in the scale as well. And then once your body finally lets go of that, you will see that reflected in the scale as well, um, for sure. So um, this is the reason why. When we're trying to, especially when somebody is new, and I'm trying to 
really track how their body responds to things. Um, and one of the reasons why I hold myself to a very, very high standard of predictability and sameness from one day to the next is so that my weigh-in numbers are more consistent and more predictable. So therefore, I'm always up at the same time every day. I also just prefer that. I, I don't. I'm not a person who likes to sleep in. I like to get. If I sleep in, it's because I'm waking up at 5:30 and not five. Um, I want to get my day started. I want to get to the gym early. I want to be done with it. Um, not that I hate it, but just I like having it checked off and I like having the rest of my day free and clear. My meal timing is always about the same, give or take 30 minutes. My water intake is the same. My water intake timing is also relatively consistent as well. My sodium intake is consistent. I'm in bed at the same time every night. My sleep quality is pretty consistent as well. So I manage all of those variables as best I can so that my numbers are going to be as predictable, predictable as possible. And with one or two exceptions throughout this prep, they have been. I mean, like today, um, uh, everything was great. Uh, you know, yesterday was just the same as the day before. Today I woke up, I was up a pound for some reason. Uh, do I know why? No. Do I really care? Not particularly. Um, if I do everything correct today, it'll probably be back down. So it was 2 Going back a couple days, like to Wednesday, it was 201.4. Yesterday was 201. Even today was 202. I know that that's an anomaly. I know it's trending down. Um, I hit uh, two cardio sessions today and a quality lift. All the meals are on point. It's a lower carb day for a lifting day, so I fully expect that number to be back down later. So, um, But the consistency in all those variables, I mean, are these weight spikes in and of themselves a problem? That's the other question. No. No, they aren't. What they are is something that makes you go, huh, what the fuck is going on here? And it makes you search for an answer, and it can either make you curious or it can piss you off. And that, the getting pissed off, is not the correct response. Because all that, all that you're tracking here are changes in your body's um, solid waste and fluid retention. Like, you know, if you see spikes or, or drops of three to six pounds over the course of a day or two, that's not fat and it's not muscle. You're not building or losing muscle that fast. You're not building or losing fat that fast. Um, so we're, we're, we're tracking those other variables. Solid waste retention, specifically if you are um, backed up from a digestive perspective, um, and also just fluid retention for the reasons we mentioned before. So um, not a big deal. But as a curiosity, it can be like, yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, Steve, my recommendation to you would be tighten up some of those variables um, just because you know, we're, we're doing this stuff. We're going through the, the daily routine and the motions of everything on the daily grind anyway. So tighten up the variables a little bit and see if you can make things a little bit more predictable. And for me, it's all about learning and understanding your body and how it responds to all of the various things that you could possibly throw at it just to increase your understanding of how your body operates on a regular basis. So um, the other one that came through, let me see here. This was from Lisa McKenzie, an avid listener. Thank you, Lisa, as always. Um, she always has great feedback, good suggestions. She says, um, with the Olympia now passed, she keeps hearing reference to FST7 and isotension. What the heck are those? That is a really, really good question. Let's start, let's start with FST7. So um, FST7, as far as I know, now I didn't go back and do the research on this, but I'm pretty sure that my uh, historical recollection is accurate. This was something that was uh, a technique that was developed by Haney Rambod. He was a coach to Jay Cutler, among others. Um, is he the guy that works with Phil Heath? I don't know. It might be. Um, I, I don't keep track of the comings and goings of pros and their coaches. It just doesn't matter to me. It doesn't have any relevance. But I know he worked with Cutler back in Cutler's heyday. So um, he uh, – and I, I believe I, I believe he developed this. I That is to say – I read an article or saw an article in a magazine many, many years back where he was talking about this and introducing it as though he came up with it. So who knows where he got it from? Maybe he did create it. I'm not sure. Um, the idea is FST7 is fascia stretch training, and then the number seven is cr critical because that's how many sets we're going to be working with here. So the idea is... Um, it, what we're trying to do is flood the muscle with as much blood as possible with the idea of stretching the fascia that covers the muscle, um, which will allow for additional muscle fiber growth. Sounds kind of pseudoscience-y. Yeah. And also, um, I believe one of the uh, principles, which was not included in this muscle and fitness article where I read this, was it was kind of designed to go hand-in-hand -hand with synthol use um, because synthol requires a, fi a stretched fascia in order to really uh, allow the muscle to grow and swell the way it does. And if you're not familiar with synthol, I would say don't bother. If you're really curious, go and just type into Google, Google synthol freaks. 
and uh, just prepare to be amazed. <laughs> There's, you're you're going to see things that you can't unsee when you do that, that some of the biggest idiocy examples on the planet you will see, and it, it will be disturbing as well. So you've been warned. I'm not telling you to go do it. I'm telling you if you're curious, go do it. <laughs> but that's on you, not on me. Uh, so uh, from my recollection, uh, FST7 and Synthol use were kind of designed to go hand in hand. And I mean, you know, you look at the results that a guy like Cutler gets, and sure, it's hard to argue with that. Um, I think FST7 as a training principle is good because it's one of those things that stretches the boundaries and will automatically, just by its design, force you out of your comfort zone. Um, it's the same uh, same concept behind, well, not the same concept, but that similar concept of just you know something that will get people to do something that they haven't done before and get them to reassess like, man, how hard am I really working? If I just did that, what am I doing the rest of the time? Um, you know, It kind of recalibrates that intensity scale. It's the same principle behind the Ascending Threes protocol that I came up with, um, which uh, I do have a workout plan in the works that is going to be built around that plan. Um, It'll be worth it. So that thing, I mean, I, uh, the, the more I use that and the more feedback I get from people, I kind of refine it a little bit here and there, but I'm really, I'm really happy with it. So just, I, I won't bother going into it now. I know I've talked about it here before. Um, so FST7. So the idea is we're trying to generate as much blood flow into the muscle as possible in a short amount of time. So you're going to pick a rep range somewhere around 8 to 12. Usually it's 10 or 12. Um, and you're going to hit that set and then you're going to take a 15 second rest period and you're going to repeat until you complete seven sets all with 15 second rest periods in between. So basically it's just a short term volume overload. Um, and so of course the, the idea here also is to, um, uh, not have to reduce the weight as you go from set one through set seven, which means you're going to have to start a little bit more conservatively. If you're familiar with the concept of muscle rounds, this is kind of similar, where with muscle rounds, you may do six rounds of four reps with 20-second rest, something like that. Similar concept. This one has just been branded a little bit more effectively. Also, if you want to do a proper FST7, um, and this is where uh, isotension comes in as well. A proper FST7, during your first rest period, you will provide the muscle with a static stretch for the entire 15-second duration of that rest period. And then you'll do set two. Uh, in between set two and three, you will hold an isometric flex for the muscle group in question for the entire 15-second rest period. And you will alternate between stretch and flex and stretch and flex and stretch and flex for all of the rest periods between sets one and two, two and three, three and four, four and five, five and six, six and seven. Um, um, so basically, from the first rep of set one to the seventh set of or the, the final rep of set seven, the muscle is never devoid of tension. Um, it's brutal. It's painful if you do it correctly. When I program FST7 work into one of my plans, I leave out the stretch and the flex component initially um, just because I don't necessarily want to kill somebody, especially somebody that's relatively new. If it's somebody that's a little bit more advanced, I'll verbalize that to them and say, hey, throw this in as a little bit of finisher. This is how it's actually supposed to work. So let's give it a shot. Um, so that's the whole concept behind FST7. So give that a shot. Try it. You will shock yourself. And the idea here, again, I think its biggest value is in recalibrating your intensity scale. The science behind how it works, I think, is highly questionable. Um, I don't necessarily buy into the idea that a muscle, that a, that a fascia can really be stretched to the point where it's going to allow for additional growth. That sounds like some bullshit to me. Um, but... That doesn't mean it's devoid of utility. Kind of like, you know, a, a, a pill, like if you're taking a testosterone booster, eh, the most valuable thing it does for you is a placebo effect. That doesn't mean it doesn't do anything. That placebo effect can be really powerful. You know, it impacts your mindset. It makes you feel a little bit different. You just go a little bit harder. That's great. Same thing here. You know, you're, you're doing something that your body hasn't been done before. And because there's this protocol set in place, you're like, okay, this is what I've got to do. Awesome. You're going to do it. And you realize you might've bitten off more than you can chew after you get like the first three sets done. But okay, well, part of the protocol is I don't adjust the weight down. So then you, you just kind of force it out and you just suffer, suffer, suffer. You almost die by the end of it, but then you survive and you're like, wow, I've never done anything like that before. That was crazy. Let me reassess a lot of the things that I've been doing in the gym. Now with this new 10 set as my 1 to 10 intensity scale, that, that, that's a game changer. Holy crap, things are going to be a little bit different now. Um, so isotension specifically, um, it's, it's branded as a weeder principle as if, uh, as if the idea of flexing a muscle can be branded. Uh, it seems ridiculous, but you know, go weeder publications. Nice work. Um, so... 
the idea behind this is you're just holding an isometric squeeze. Um, it's like posing practice, basically, except you're focusing on one muscle group at a time, and it's the muscle group that you're training. Um, I've incorporated this into some training programs before. So one really easy way to do this is, okay, do a bicep curl, a, a set, so a set of you know 10, whatever. A set of 10 curls, nice and hard, not quite taking it to failure, you know, pretty close to it, leave a couple reps in the tank, and then drop the weight and then hold an isometric squeeze in the biceps for 30 seconds. And the way you hold an isometric squeeze in the bicep is you've got the barbell down, now bring your hands up into position as though you were at the top of a curl. Pull your elbows back, hands up, fists, and just squeeze. Squeeze the bicep and hold it right there. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Watch the clock tick down. Okay, well, I'm halfway through. Okay, try and squeeze a little harder now. Okay, I got 10 seconds. It's really starting to hurt. Squeeze harder. Squeeze harder. 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 Come on, you got five seconds left. Keep squeezing harder. Keep ramping it up throughout, and then release. And ideally, what you're going for is the sensation like the muscle is going to just completely cramp up on you and just start spasming out. That's what we're looking for there. So um, the isotent, I mean, it's, it's the same concept as, you know, why you want to throw a quick isometric squeeze into the top of every rep as well, or between reps, depending on what it is. Like squeeze the pecs between reps on a bench press, squeeze the biceps at the top of a curl, squeeze the triceps at the bottom of a press down. Um, same kind of thing. It's just you're, you're taking that and adding it as a separate element um, that's not necessarily part of an exercise, but maybe it's after an exercise. You know, I've seen um, Julian Smith, um, the quad guy on Instagram. Um, I've seen him post quad workouts where one of the exercises is an isometric quad flex. Okay, great. That is, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it's a really good mind muscle connection drill. The problem with writing it into a program is trying to explain it to somebody that hasn't done it before. Because it can be really hard for, like, wait, you want me to what? So I don't have any weight, and I'm just standing there flexing, but because the, the concept of, like, you know, how do you just flex the muscle is it, foreign to a lot of people, especially if it's something like, okay, isometrically flex your hamstring as hard as you can. Uh, what? You're going to get a lot of blank stares from that one. <laughs> so um, there's, there's some skill involved in this. I mean, you've got to have good mind-muscle connection. You've got to have good body coordination. Um, but yeah, isotension, it's a, it's, a, it's a legit thing. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's a kind of finisher. Uh, it's a kind of you know, scale recalibration tool, much like FST7, much like muscle rounds, much like ascending threes, much like a drop set, much like any kind of protocol like that. Force negatives, partial reps, manual resistance reps from your partner. All of those things are just designed to throw more at your body than it is willing to have thrown at it. Um, you know, you're basically throwing, <laughs> throwing dodgeballs at the muscle that it's not able to dodge and just forcing it to suck up the blows and grow from it because it has two options. It can either break or it can grow. And muscles are pretty resilient. While they can break, they're, they're more likely going to have a positive response from it. So that is the whole concept behind it. So hopefully that helps. Holy crap. We are over an hour. I think this might be the longest episode ever. Um, but really, really good questions from everybody. Um, this was fantastic. And I got to tell you, this was also really easy for me. So uh, let's do it again. We, we should do this again sometime, right? So once again, the number 865-518-2974 is the call-in number. If you go to the dropset.com, the number is clickable from right there. Click it. Give me a buzz. Josh in Virginia, I'm talking to you. I know you've been on here two weeks in a row. I don't care. Make it three. Let's keep the streak alive. You can hog that phone line all you want. I don't care. Mary Emily, Aaron, thank you for calling in and leaving your messages as well. I appreciate it. Um, Steve, Lisa, Ryan, for your messages through Instagram and Facebook. Also, you can also contact me via email, Darren at fivestarfitness.com. Or if you go to fivestarphysique.com, click on contact. You can fill out the form there as well. On Instagram, at Darren underscore. On Twitter, at Darren Star. YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, Five Star Physique. That's how you can find me. Um, we will catch up on Monday. And then I am all set to hit the road and podcast from Oregon while I'm gone. The audio quality will be a little suspect. It will not be quite this nice. You'll be able to understand me and hear me just fine. God, I hope. We're going to try it at least and see how it goes. So stay tuned for some travel logs. Um, follow me on social media. Follow along there because I'll be posting plenty of stuff along the way as well. So once again, thank you everybody uh, to everybody who contributed here. Thank you all for listening. I appreciate it. Everybody have a great weekend. We'll be back together on Monday with a special guest. You won't want to miss this one. It'll be good.